Hello and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 150. Golly. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing on the 50th anniversary of its premiere, Star Trek, first episodes, The Man Trap, Charlie X, and Where No Man Has Gone Before. And we are going to be discussing these in broadcast order, but not production order, which is, you know, it's pretty out of whack, especially the beginning of the original series. So so broadcast order, which means starting off with Man, Man Trap, which means this episode aired 50 years ago today. Let's get started. Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry, airing from September 8, 1966 through June 3, 1969. Theme music composed by Alexander Courage. Cast includes William Shatner as Captain James T. Kirk, Leonard Nimoy as Commander Spock, DeForest Kelly as Dr. McCoy, James Doohan as Lieutenant Commander Montgomery Scott, Nichelle Nichols as Lieutenant Uhura, George Takei as Lieutenant Sulu, Walter Koenig as Ensign Chekhov, Majel Barrett as Nurse Christine Chapel, and Grace Lee Whitney as Janice Rand. The Man Trap, Season 1, Episode 1, Production Code 6, Original Error Date, September 8, 1966. Directed by Mark Daniels, written by George Clayton Johnson, music composed by Alexander Courage. Guest cast include Gene Ball as Nancy Crater, Alfred Ryder as Professor Robert Crater, and Michael Zaslow as Darnell. The starship USS Enterprise arrives at planet M113 to provide medical exams for Professor Robert Crater and his wife Nancy, who operate a station there. Captain James T. Kirk... Chief Medical Officer Dr. Leonard McCoy and crewman Darnell transport to the surface. As Kurt teases McCoy about his affection for Nancy ten years earlier, they arrive in the research station and each of the three men see Nancy differently. McCoy as she was when he first met her, Kirk as she should look counting for her age, and Darnell as a totally different attractive younger woman. Kirk sends the dazed Darnell outside when Nancy goes out to fetch her husband. She beckons Darnell to follow her. Ship Surgeon McCoy and myself are now beaming down to the planet's surface. Our mission, routine medical examination of archaeologist Robert Crater and his wife, Nancy. Routine, but for the fact that Nancy Crater is that one woman in Dr. McCoy's past. Star Trek turns 50 with The Man Trap, September 8th, 1966. That's so crazy. It's nuts. <laughs> You know, um, I don't know. It's, it's, um, gosh, you know, we're actually recording this a few hours uh, before that day. I'm going to be very disappointed. I think I said this before, maybe, but I'm going to be disappointed if there's not like a front page article on CNN and, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, well, I tell you what, yesterday CNN tweeted that yesterday was the 50th anniversary and they later <laughs> redacted it and said, nope, sorry, it's Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny uh, I did not know that um, so so we've got a lot to talk about you know this conversation we're going to talk a little bit uh, in general about the beginning of this series which is also the beginning of everything in the franchise That, that um, I mean I, I don't even remember I, I barely remember a time when this series was just, if you said Star Trek, this is what you meant. I mean, I, I kind of don't really remember that. You know, like, when did we start calling it the original series or TOS or, you know, 
obviously that was sometime after um, the subsequent series, but I don't really remember just calling it Star Trek. Do you guys? Oh. I would yeah, have I'm to not- assume it happened sometime after Next Gen. I just remember it being Star Trek as a kid. So you do okay. have that memory, though. Yeah, okay. just yeah, just being Star Trek, you know. I do. My my dad watched the reruns in the seventies, and so I was familiar with it from Star Trek. But yeah, it was relatively speaking a, a small portion of my life thinking of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, when how long has it been since you guys watched uh, watched the original series? Two thousand. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I think like 2003 or four. I watched um, the DVDs. When I, yeah, I'd gotten the DVDs, and that's I watched them um, from start to finish. So I pretty much watch it about every ten years, roughly, is when I watch mm-hmm. the original series. I did watch it when the Blu-rays came out, so not ancient history, really. I don't remember when this latest. That's like 2008 or nine, probably. Something, Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. We're, let's we're we're going to talk a little bit in a little bit about the uh, pros and cons of the updated effects, and I know see, uh, Adam Caesar here has chosen to watch those. I think that's what I'm going to do too. So that's that's on the agenda for discussion. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about the creation of the series because I have a feeling listeners to our show um, know that series pretty well. <sighs> Or know that story pretty well. There's certainly <laughs> more books and information on the creation of the original series than any other topic in Star Trek, I would imagine. I, I know that because I think I've read them all. <laughs> 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 um, you know, Gene Roddenberry had tried to get uh, several shows off the ground. Nothing ever lasted too long. It was too big of a hit. Uh, of course, famously, Star Trek... Um, they made one pilot, uh, which was rejected by the network at the time. You know, NBC. Um, this, and uh, and they uh, pretty unprecedented. They commissioned a second pilot for Star Trek, which we always hear that's unprecedented. I literally haven't ever heard of that for any other show. So, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. saying, uh, "Well, we spent all this money to make the first pilot, and let's try again because there's something there." Um, so they made the second one, and then, and then the uh, show got picked up, and Desi Lee was producing Star Trek and Mission Impossible, and both of those shows got picked up. Um, why they actually chose to start with the Man Trap, it was not the first episode, uh, mostly because the effects were done. It was a simpler one as far as, you know... Um, Everybody would have loved to play, say, Cobra Might Maneuver first, but um, that had more complicated effects and they weren't complete. Um, Charlie X was a bottle show. They didn't go down to a planet. Um, and MB- I don't think NBC was super hot on the teen melodrama. Although, as we'll discuss today, my opinion is that I think Charlie X is probably the the better of the three episodes we're discussing today, even if it's not aiming as high as, as say, Where No Man Has Gone Before. Um, but 
I actually have always thought the Man Trap was was a solid choice to be the first episode. I mean, it has it has um, it's got a mystery. There's a sort of I don't know exactly a detective type story, but you know they're 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 following clues and um, doing analysis. You know, it's it's a very uh, prototypical Star Trek episode in that way. In the way you've got the triumvirate, of course, of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and the things they're doing. Um, I've never thought this was a, a, a poor choice for a first episode. Um, I am choosing to play my five year now five year old son. That's right. When we started our podcast, he was in the womb, <laughs> and he's now watching the show with us. Um, I, I I played him, my five year old son, the Man Trap, and Charlie X, and. Uh, he he got into Charlie X and he really followed it. Uh, the Man Trap not so much, but he definitely liked the monster at the end. <laughs> you know, and I think that's one of the reasons they chose this epi- episode to um, to air first. It's, yeah, he got a monster. Um, so those are some of my initial thoughts on the Man Trap. Um, Steve, what are some of your first thoughts and? I guess it's hard to say how does this versus the, you know, your older memories of it because you've you've probably watched these episodes more than Adam or myself, and obviously Adam and I have watched these episodes a bunch, but I think you maybe have watched them even more, and certainly more recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think um, I know it's fairly um, serendipitous that this got chosen as the first one it was kind of a process of elimination in terms of what they had available like you were indicating but i do think it's a, it's a decent start in terms of it creating a bit of a flavor for the show in terms of the you know relative to the other first episodes um of the series because you have the um you know you have kirk spock and mccoy are pretty much the, the highlights you have some um McCoy Spock interactions that you know all all, they, all three of those characters interacting with each other that you that isn't totally foreign compared to what your memory is of how they interact throughout the series and so forth um it, it's which got some, you do feel a little bit like say with where no man has gone for yeah 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 because it, it, it's that one's kind of a for obvious reasons it's just stands mm-hmm. apart you know and so on but and it does have um, a bit of, like, it has the mystery, it has um, some action, um, it has some costumes, and, you know, I mean, it, so it, it's fun. I, I, I enjoy it, and I think it's, this is what's interesting. It's going to be hard in some cases to critique these in the same way we critique the others, because um, it's, it's, such, it's such a different time, yeah. um, and it's, everything has to be in context, and plus, it's all—it's almost—it's almost sacred in a weird way that the other one, mm-hmm. the other series, don't have. And so, but yeah, my initial thoughts are that uh, that I think it's—it's it's a decently well-rounded episode. I found it entertaining. It's fun. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that's something um, that I was thinking about too, especially when, like, with um, where no man has gone before. But but all three of these, I do think we need a slightly different approach for how to talk about these. Um, on one hand, when we say, what is this show about? You know, what is the theme? What are the questions it's asking? Um, our show is, our podcast has always, you know, said, when you've got an answer for that, then it's something that holds up. I mean, th- this is literally 
the oldest episode of Star Trek ever aired, and that's never going to change. <laughs> that cannot change. It will only get older, <laughs> but hmm. everything else will age the same. Um, I think that is fair for us to keep that still the same, you know, as far as analyzing the theme and um, hoping that it's got something to say and what kind of questions it's asking, and that being part of the uh, rubric for, you know, um, deciding its quality. But on the other hand, you know, again, really thinking where No Man Has Gone Before, but, but, all, all, but all of the original series, but for example, where No Man Has Gone Before, you know, it's got some quirkiness to it. It's got some uneven stuff, but when you imagine that, you know, produced months before any other episode of Star Trek. Uh, when you imagine that was completely out of thin air, it's not like everything else that was based on some other Star Trek. Um, even by the time you get to the second season of the original series, I mean, you still have, they had an idea of what Star Trek was. But when you look at it from, in that context, I think that it gets, I think that it's, it gets so much more credit. You know, okay, so, um, the man trap. Watching this very first episode, one of the first thoughts I had was was about um, we just finished four seasons of Enterprise, and you know I enjoyed watching Enterprise, um, but I didn't really think so much about the way it looked. The man trap is so. The original series Star Trek, from the very beginning here, it is so immediately inviting to me. The colors, the composition. There's a lot. I mean, it's four by three. There's a lot of like um, close-ups on the face because that's. I mean, yeah, okay, fine. Next gen, it's four by three. But but the way they shot scenes in the '60s was a little different. There were a lot more close-ups, but so there's a lot more. Uh, it's a lot more tactile. Tactile, you know. There's a lot more character in that sense. Um, um, and it just made me, for the first time, think. I, I never thought Enterprise looked a little drab when we watched it, you know, until I watched the Man Trap back to back with These Are the Voyages, you know. And um, yeah, the, the, the walls of, of the 1701 are gray, but they they're always throwing some color on those walls, you know. And and yeah, the original series, one of the first, you know, big shows produced in color, partially because the company. You know, RCA making color televisions, trying to sell them into people's homes, uh, owned NBC, and they wanted color shows. And at the time, the vast majority of people watching Star Trek did not see it in color. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever met, I, you know, I've, I've read interviews, and it's, I don't think I've ever actually met anybody who watched it in color when it first aired. Ever. <laughs> um, but I, there were people, but it was, you know, it was a, the minority. Um, I don't think I knew anybody that was watching enterprise in hd <laughs> mm-hmm. anyway anyway um so you know i love and of course it's a little dated but 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 i love the look of the original series from from day one you know seeing the the enterprise and and these are the kind of things that we take for granted you know you know um well i mean i guess there's a little bit steve like you're saying there's almost it's almost sacred or something but but I, you know, it's so easy to take for granted how incredible the design was for some for the bridge. You know, it's so easy to take for granted how perfect Shatner was immediately. 
as Kirk. Um, Nimoy took just a smidge longer to really lock in the character of Spock that we all think of, but, you know, we're talking like one or two episodes, not one or two seasons to get there. Um, even even Bones is, you know, D. Kelly is so perfect in that role, and, and when you watch it, it I can I can show you what a nondescript, you know, lame doctor is on Star Trek, because that's what we get in where no man is before, you know, you know, so it, these things that we take for granted, these things were all so amazing. That's the reason it's been around for 50 years. You know, that's the reason it's got all these, you know, so I, I give it a lot of credit for all these kinds of things. Um, uh, Adam, um, what were some of your initial feelings about the man track? Um, it's not my favorite episode. I don't know if I would ever watch it again. Um, I, I respect it for what it is. Um, but you know, we, we touched on this a, a minute ago. I mean, you have to think about the, the time frame. you know, this is 1966, um, episodal television probably had only been around what, maybe 10 or 15 years by this point. So you would never see, you probably would never see a television series start off like this. Um, Ever again, you know, it just kind of throws you right into the middle of of what's going on. You know, the characters are already developed; they already have relationships with each other. There's no real, um, there's no real backstory. Um, if you're familiar with the other Star Trek series, you know, every pilot episode had a, you know, had a setup. You know, there was backgrounds in each character, how they got there, and you know, it was just it kind of gave you a setup to the whole series. Um, Man Trap does not do that, and I think I'm going to actually disagree with both you and Steve. Um, I felt they should have put Where No Man Has Gone Before first. Um, it, it, I think it would have fit better for um, a first episode as to Man Trap. Man Trap is definitely a, a bottle bottle episode um, that kind of feels like it should be more in the middle of the season. But I mean, you know, like I said this. Well, is they go down onto a planet multiple times. And. That's usually outside of the bottle episode definition. Well, I mean, you know, I just well, let me let me rephrase that. It just it's just a, you know, it's just a standalone episode. Which okay. most of most of the original series episodes are they're mm-hmm. standalone um, episodes. Um, there's only a few times where we get like multiple episodes, if maybe once or twice. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of boring. Um. I think, you know, obviously in hindsight, I know everything there is to know about these characters, so I can watch this episode and and um, feel right at home. But, I mean, if you've never watched Star Trek any, before and you started off with Man Trap, I don't know if you would keep going, to be honest with you. Um, well, you know, at the time, um, the critics were not very kind to Man, to Man Trap. Variety TV Guide, they said bad things. I think the guy in Variety said, this show's not going to last. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was wrong. Well, it did I should have looked up who's, who said that because uh, I bet he's get, not really around anymore. <laughs> it does get better. I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to bag him. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a bad episode. It, it does try to say something, and it does have an intricate story. You know, it's a mystery story about what's going on. I don't, I don't know. I just, you know. One thing I'm going to talk about... Um, in where no man has gone before is is this sense of history you know so you're talking about we're jumping almost almost like in media stress right like that this ship's already out there the characters are already established we're just this is the first episode we're seeing you know mm-hmm. and that is 
that is that is true and that is cool. But I like like in Mantrap, it's got this history concept too. You know, we um, um, McCory had a history uh, with this woman. Um, Kirk is obviously friends with McCoy. You know, he he jokes about the plum thing. You know, calling him plum. Um, so, you know, you've got te- almost like, of course, they didn't use the word techno babble back then. It wasn't exactly techno babble, but techno type stuff, like procedurally type stuff. Like, there's a whole bit about sound general quarters, condition three. You know. Um, well, who knows what that? I don't know what that means. Nobody knows what that means when I'm watching this episode. But it doesn't matter. You know, you get the sense for what it's supposed well, to. Well, you be. get the idea that it's a it's a it's a professional ship. It's a not a military ship, but it's a you mm-hmm. know, it's like a navy ship. You know, you yep. sound for general quarters. You know, they have that. Um, yeah. So that so there it, there's that stuff going on at the same time. You've got Kirk joking with um, McCoy, calling him Plum. You know. Um, that, in a nutshell, is is is. I think these are the kind of reasons that Star Trek, um, is so different from everything else that was going on at the time. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, my a quick diversion. So, Adam, you yes. did not see the special, the updated special effects uh when they first aired in 2007 2008 or nine six, six or seven all right because it had something to do with the 40th anniversary i think was one of the times that was when they yeah, first that, talked about it that's the one time the three of us have actually been together that's right the uh, 40th mm-hmm. anniversary creation convention in chicago that's right. Yeah, I remember. I remember they talked about it that time, but they hadn't released them yet. Yeah, you're right. They hadn't really shown. It. I was so freaked out. I was like, I remember it was one of the few. T- I never get up and ask questions at these panels ever. I can count on one hand the number of times I've done it in my whole life, and one of those was I got up there and I asked, "What was his name? David, something, uh, the producer." I got up and I asked because he talked about they had scanned everything in and, you know, in HD, which at the time was, you know pretty cool now you're like hd gosh 4k here what are you gonna do um but he talked about that and that they were finishing with these new effects in hd and i did get up and i asked because i was so concerned i was i asked are you doing all this cleanup work and stuff on the original unmolested episode you know i asked something to that effect um because i was i wasn't exactly against it I, I wouldn't care, you know, go ahead and do that stuff, but give me the originals too. That's how I felt about you mm-hmm. know, George Maxson with the original Star Wars movies. Great. Okay. Until you're blue in the face, but also give me, give me the original. So then, you know, let me, you know, choose which one I want to watch. But I was, I was this, the second David, what's his name? Uh, said, yes, we are, you know, we are cleaning up and fixing up the original episodes exactly as they originally aired. Uh, as well, then I was like, okay, great. I, I breathe a sigh of relief. And then I got to say, whenever they actually started airing the new effects versions, which at the time I had to watch in L.A., my, the only way I could watch them, I think it was like just over-the-air you know, antenna, um, like late Friday or Saturday night. It was something weird like that. But I, you know, I, I watched as many as I could until they kept moving them around, and I <laughs> had to give up. Um, but 
for the most part, I was I was uh, very satisfied. I thought that it was it was pretty tastefully done. And I will say, right now it's the first time you know watching the Blu-rays. Play. I'm I'm going to watch them. Uh, I'm going to watch the new VFX because I'm going to play a lot of these for my son. And I think that and this is exactly why they did it. I remember them talking about this at the time. I think that the new VFX, you know, um, I think it will play a lot better for my five-year-old who watches, you know, everything he wants on Netflix at literally the touch of his, of his finger. <laughs> He's used to a lot more current stuff. And I think the new effects are one of the reasons that he, that he, you know, enjoyed Charlie X so much. Um, yeah, so. I will say, yeah, I, I kind of noticed that they were probably sensitive to that issue, to people being upset about them changing and messing with the episodes. I thought it was kind of, this is the one time I'm, you know, you put the disc in and it, at, you know, before you play the episode, it asks you which version yeah. you want to watch. You know, and every other, you know, disc you watch, it you make that choice bef- way, way before on the other menu. But each episode, it asks you which one you <laughs> want to watch. I was like, yeah, they were pretty, sen- they were pretty keenly as- aware of the sensitivity um fans were having so what did you think adam what did you think of them this is the first time you saw them what did you think um well the reason i waited to watch them because we started this podcast and um i just assumed at the time when we were doing ds9 we would eventually get to um the original series so that's why i decided to wait i wanted to um, six years later (laughs) yeah well like enterprise i waited uh, same thing with enterprise i waited to watch enterprise um until we actually started talking about them because i hadn't watched enterprise until it, it until it originally aired, but the same same reasoning with the the original series. Um, I liked it to be honest with you. I mean, there it's it's pretty cool. I um, yeah, I have to say I liked it. It doesn't really it doesn't take you out of the the show. I think you know there's probably I think if I remember I haven't read in a while, but what they did like um, little things that are actually on set, like you know they enhance what the phasers and different sound effects and that kind of stuff. But the most noticeable things you'll you'll see are you know the planets. Um, you know, the different angles of um, the Enterprise. Um, obviously, it's um, it looks HD. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, for the, these first three episodes, I enjoyed it. I liked, um, it was in, Char- um, not Char- where No Man Has Gone Before, I liked the, um, the Milky Way background. We'll get to that when we talk about where No Man's Gone Before. But that was, I think that was my favorite shot of these three, of the new effects with, the, you know, the Enterprise and the Milky Way, you know, cloud formation in the background was pretty neat. And also, I guess that you know that whole scene and um, where no man has gone before, where they're in the barrier, and you could they had some actual could actually see the Enterprise making maneuvers and that sort of thing was pretty cool. I know in the in the original ones, you know the the, the Enterprise never really made any maneuvers; it just kind of yeah, never really did shifted anything. right or left on the screen or something. It didn't really move too much. Hmm. Uh, another thing I wanted to say about the man trap is, I think. If you're gonna do a plant glove, that it probably should not have five fingers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a. I mean, if you'd had like four, three, six even, but five, <laughs> five kind of looks like a hand. Uh-huh. I thought they should have done eight. You know, done two hands together. Uh-huh. A little cooler. I don't know, but yeah. That cost too much. Yeah. <laughs> I did kind of like it. Watch it the first. If this is your first episode of Star Trek ever. You know, it, wouldn't you think that Sulu was the botanist? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was in there, and she brought him his lunch, I guess, but he wasn't at the helm or something. I like how she was eating his lunch while she was walking down the hall. <laughs> but she wouldn't let somebody else eat it. <laughs> That's rude, <laughs> eating somebody else's lunch. 
Gillette. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting to watch the, you know, how different television is back there. It, it seems um, things aren't quite as, as tight. Um, I mean, that's because, I mean, I think, you know, they're basically making these episodes on the fly. I know they did that with the next gen and DS9, but I, it's uh, um, it's interesting watching how television shows were made back then and how um, how loose they were. I mean, you know, um, there was and we'll get to it when Charlie acts. I noticed there was a a, a uniform. Um, Kurt changed his uniform in the turbo lift. He went from his gold to his green. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's just fun to watch like how fast these things um, probably were made. Um, and it's a and it's also a credit to them because like you were mentioning earlier, Brian, you know about the different sets, the colors, the music, and how extraordinary they are, how extraordinary they are, and they were still able to make these really cool and colorful magical sets under the um, budgetary and time constraints that they had to deal with. Yeah, our show, and I've been called out for this before, and I think that's a fair criticism of our podcast is that we don't talk about the music enough. Um, and I'm sure we're going to give the music for the original series short shrift. And I apologize for that in advance. But I will say that the music for the original series is some of the greatest music made for any TV show. It's not the greatest music made for any TV show ever. Um, it's still amazing. It's, it's still so good. It's still so iconic. I love the music for this show. Every episode, even when yeah, I would I would make the argument without the music, we wouldn't be having this podcast talking about the 50th anniversary because I think the music's that strong in these. And you know, I noticed it too in these first three episodes how good the the background music is and everything that goes along with the episodes. I think it, well, yeah. so, honestly, so much of it. It's I thought watch any other TV show from 1966, folks. If you can find one, watch it. Lost in space. You, think. <laughs> you know, so watch one of these things. Watching Star Trek, the original series, when they were doing solid episodes, like the three we're discussing today, it's it's it holds up so well, it's like watching a sh- it's just watching a show. You're watching a TV show, fine. You know? Um, try watching any movie from 1927 other than Metropolis. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah. You know, these suck. <laughs> There's a lot of sucking stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, of course, there were some other good shows in the 60s, but Star Trek was just so ludicrously ahead of its time, you know. Okay. Um, so we have fully half of our conversation, if not more, was, was general Star Trek the original series stuff, which makes sense because we're kicking that off today. Um, are there any other specific notes that you'd like to discuss regarding the man trap? I did notice a lot of people eat in this episode. There's a lot of eating. Mm-hmm. Talk about Rand. I, there, Kirk eats in this episode. Um, there's definitely a lot of food going on. Um, it's interesting to see, you know, Spock and Uhura flirting, and I don't remember much of that if I think about the series as a whole, of course, but now it sticks out so much given what Abrams did in the um, alternate universe oh, that's and a good stuff. Point. You know, it, it struck me like, I mean, you're probably going to like, you're going to have it in these couple episodes or something and they never see it again. I don't remember. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, funny they, to think, wow, how, how odd, you know. They've wonder, got those bits that's a on note, the bridge. Uh, I wonder if that's a note JJ took episode. when he was watching these. <laughs> 
they've got those bits in the bridge in this episode, and then of course they've got the uh, music stuff in Charlie X. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. What is this episode about, guys? Um, for me, you know, it's kind of like um. I guess would be like holding on to the past. I mean, you know, the past isn't necessarily your present. I mean, you know, cause you have McCoy who can't seem to let go of this image of um, Nancy that he had and the, the feelings that he had 10 years ago. So, um, and that's kind of the, the, the trouble that gets, he gets into because he, he can't seem to reconcile that this isn't Nancy until the very end, until she's basically killing Kirk. Um, so it's kind of what I kind of felt like the episode was about, just, you know, hanging, clinging too too much to the past and past feelings and emotions. Yeah, I kind of related to that. I think it's like there are people or creatures, as it were, that will uh, prey on you on, for your weaknesses. And your weakness would might be your um, your perceptions. I guess our our perceptions are skewed by our own personal experiences in our history. You know, we may not see three different women when we look at a certain woman, but, uh, our past, uh, our past, uh, you know, we all see the, in, through rose colored glasses, through some kind of, through the, uh, lenses of our history, you know, and, and that can be, um, there are those who can prey on that. Cool. So it sounds like, uh, Steve and I enjoyed this episode a little more than, Adam did, but you, you you don't think it's a bad episode. You just no, 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 no. I just, I you know it was just kind of weird to me. It was just kind of weird as a first episode. I mean, there's things that I really enjoyed this episode. We got to see you know Kirk um, jump on the ground and do his military crawl. We got to you know those mm-hmm. those iconic Kirk moves. You know those, those <laughs> iconic things in this episode. I think you mentioned that you know um, right off the bat, um, um, William Shatner encompasses Kirk. He has complete control of that character from, from the beginning. So I, I kind of, I really do kind of respect that, you know, from, from the get go, you know, in this episode we see, I don't think, um, um, Nimoy actually had, um, Spock flush. So, cause I think he smiles once in this, or maybe it's in Charlie X when he's playing the, um, playing his instrument. He has a, he smiles in that episode. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of respected that. I mean, you know, it felt like Kirk, right from the get-go so um um, props to shatner for nailing that right off the bat all right let's do six degrees for the man trap listeners as you know six degrees is where i ask about a guest star a, a an actor that played a different role on star trek that was much easier to do for next gen ds9 and enterprise <laughs> mm-hmm. the original series not so much I'm going to continue to call it six degrees, and in those rare instances where I can ask a six degrees question, I will do so. We have one today. Um, otherwise, I'm just going to ask some general trivia. So, um, Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. I'll kick it off. In this one episode, Sick Bay has another name. What is it? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I know. I don't remember what they called it. Um, I'm gonna feel stupid when Steve answers it, but you know that's how that's how it goes every two weeks when I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. Oh, I'm I'm thinking about it. Um, I, gosh. Oh, I don't know. The, the medical bay. The dispensary. Dispensary. It's, that's right. Jeez. Oh, okay. I, yeah. think, I think they use dispensaries 
today for something else. <laughs> you live in Washington and Colorado. I think dispensaries have another another yeah, meaning yeah, in today's world. Uh, Steve, this episode first aired on 8 September 1966, and that's why we celebrate 8 September as birthday. But it actually aired two days earlier in what country? Hmm. One network in what country? Wow. Okay. I didn't know this. Um, Canada. You are correct. So I don't think anybody watched it. (laughs) (laughs) Shatner's family. Yeah. Shatner's family. All right. Moving on. Charlie X, Season 1, Episode 2, Production Code 8, Original Air Date, September 15th, 1966. Directed by Lawrence Dobkin, story by Gene Roddenberry, teleplay by DC Fontana. Music composed by Fred Steiner. Guest cast include Robert Walker as Charlie Evans, Charles J. Stewart as Captain Raymart, Dallas Mitchell as Tom Nellis, Don Eitner as Navigator, Patricia McNulty as Tina Lawton, John Bella as Crewman 1, Garland Thompson as Crewman 2, Abraham Sofer as the Thasian. The Enterprise meets the Antares to take charge of Charlie Evans, sole survivor of the transport ship that crashed on the planet Theres. For 14 years, Charlie grew up there alone, stranded in the wreckage, learning how to talk from the ship's computer system, which remained intact. He is to be transported to his nearest relatives on the colony Alpha 5. Crew members of the Antares praise about Charlie, but seem but seem pleased to see the boy removed from their ship. When the Antares leaves and gets nearly out of central range, it transmits a warning message to the Enterprise, but the message gets cut off before it can give the warning. Shortly after, Spock determines that Antares has blown up. We can't take him with us to Earth Colony 5. Can you imagine what he'd do in an open, normal environment? I've talked with him. I've listened to him. It's a boy in a man's body trying to be an adult with the adolescent in him getting in the way. And with a weapon in him, which could destroy you or anyone, anywhere on this ship. Charlie X. Adam, why don't you kick us off on Charlie X? Charlie X. Um, a memorable episode, because you have a, um, a, a youngster who can pretty much control things um, however he pleases. Um, you get the, the love interest, he gets a crush, um, you know, takes that a little bit far. Um, Majority, I mean, if not the whole episode takes place on the ship, right? There's not any. Um, not yep, any this is a bottle ship. This is the the bottle ship. Um, I liked it. It had it clearly has something to say. Um, it's um, we get a little bit, like I said, we get a little bit more character, in depth character about how the characters react to each other. A lot, it's, a lot of the episodes, it seems to be about kind of daily life on the ship. You know, the crew members, you know, hanging out, hanging out in social gatherings. We get a Lahora singing, you know, there's card playing, you know. It's just, there's nothing really going on externally. There's no, you know, red alert. Mm-hmm. There's no ship. There's no mystery on the planet. So, I mean, the show kind of has a, a very um, calm feel to it. You know, Kirk and Spock um, playing chess. Um, it's just kind of has a lot of, like I said, a lot of everyday life seems to be on a starship seems to be going on the, in this episode, and we get kind of get to see how they live. And amongst all this, you have this um, you know, teenager who's um, going through adolescence, but at the same time can um, control people. Yeah, 
I, I think I said this earlier, but um, where No Man has gone before is probably aiming higher. Like, if you just told me the story, I would think that, you know, that sounds the most interesting. Um, but for some, you know, those those little kind of things that we'll talk about when we get to it, I actually think Charlie X is the best of these three episodes today. Um, I think Charlie X is, is pretty darn good. I actually think that the the person, the kid who plays Charlie X is pretty good. He's, yeah. I mean, you know, he's all over this episode and he's, he's pretty good. And this episode is, um, well, we're going to see a lot of this, but this episode really is kind of Kirk as this star, really, you know, mm-hmm. it's all about Kirk's relationship to Charlie, even when he tries to do something with someone else, he has to. He still has to go back to Kirk, you know. Um, and I think they have a pretty interesting relationship. You know, Kirk obviously doesn't. He has even. There's even a scene where I think it's McCoy that suggests he needs some kind of father figure. Figure, and and Kirk has no interest in doing that. <laughs> None. Um. Yeah, I would just. I I liked um where no man has gone before. That that's my favorite of the three. And um where no man has gone before and Charlie X are kind of to me they're kind of similar in what they're trying to say. I mean, you know, when we get to about what these episodes are about, so I th- they're sim. I think I found them to be a little bit similar in what they were trying to say. Um. So, but we'll get to where no man has gone before. But um, I I liked um where no man has gone before of the three best. But Charlie, mm-hmm. I, not to take anything away from Charlie X, it's a good episode. I think what's fascinating about these three, you know, being what we're talking about first, is what they do have in common, and I think it's reflective of the culture of the time. And I mean, this has been written about, this is not like some new analysis, but you see this whole, in some way, shape, or form, you have people who aren't what they seem, um, who are either masquerading, or you have this kind of power that comes out of nowhere with somebody, and it's a threat, and what do you do? You have to squash it. You have to whatever, you, you know, and I think it's it's a little bit of that Cold War paranoia thing going on, I think, is 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 to some extent what um, is being reflected in these in these episodes, you know, that kind of is there is there somebody, you know, next door who's uh, isn't what they seem and, and they, they and also these all have this kind of. Um, this almost horror vibe in some way, shape, or form, you know, this, this eerie oh, yeah, definitely that, that when the meatloaf becomes turkey. <laughs> yes, that's that's terrifying. And so they yeah, they have this this vibe and I now now I'm not sure where if that comes from the same source or if that's just reflecting of of science fiction was so much more about that kind of thing back then. But mm-hmm. I think take these three together and look at those themes going throughout and I think it it's kind of like here's Star Trek and here's the world we're we're dropping this series into, you know, and I, I think that's what's interesting about it. Well, yeah, I, I would even go further on Steve. Yeah, the three of these, ep- another thing, these three episodes, come, not a happy ending. It's all mm. kind of a dark, each one of these episodes kind of has a dark ending to to them. There's not a, I mean, you know, we don't lose any prime characters or anything like that, but I mean, the the resolution and the outcome isn't probably, you know, it's it's kind of dark, to be honest, you know. Um, in Man Trap, you know, you, you know, the two people on the planet are dead, you know, you know, McCoy has to come to the realization that he's, you know, the woman that he used to love 10 years ago is dead and gone. Charlie X, when we come to the end of the episode, he is so far gone that he can't live with humans anymore. And he has to go back with this other race. And then when we get to where no man has gone before, you know, it's, it's kind of, they're kind of dark. All three of these episodes, a little bit dark. I was wondering, so that the ending of Charlie X, you know, when, 
when Kirk is asking, he, he kind of just says it once, you know, um, Charlie asks, begs Kirk to help him stay. You know, Kirk Kirk says, is there nothing can, that can be done? You know, can't can he stay? You know, and then the the guy from Thesis, is it, I think? Yeah. Um, you know, explains, no, 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 he would wreak havoc or, or whatever. It would, it would just be bad, so we have to take him. You know, Kirk's, Kirk accepts that. Therein lies some the darkness of that ending. A hopeful ending would have been would have been the, making the decision that Charlie can be rehabilitated, and therefore he can stay with humans. That's not what we got. We got the dark ending. Um, I'm kind of wondering if do you think that that ending would have been different if it had it been later in the series? Possibly, but you know the way I was thinking about that, and you know the character Charlie, and I agree with you. The actor did a did a good job. I, I liked his I liked him his performance and his character. The way he went about it, um, but they didn't. Other than the fact that he was, you know, a teenager, a lost teenager, that kind of thing, they didn't really give a whole lot of redeemable qualities to him. So I was mm-hmm. thinking about that too. Would it would it have fit this story to rehabilitate him with the way they portrayed him throughout the episode? I don't know. Yeah. What about bringing up the notion of can you remove these powers? I mean, he is a human that he was given powers. No one ever brings up. Can you just take the powers away? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my five-year-old was way more interested in Charlie X than Mantrap. Um, Charlie is not five, but I, you know, he could see him being a bad boy. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, he could see those kinds of things in him. Um, having powers, you know, that stuff is the that's the sci-fi element of it. That's the Star Trek element of it, and that's all cool. But for the most part, it's just um, you know spoiled adolescence. Until the ending, until the ending where we say, because you have these powers, you cannot be rehabilitated and you must be thrown back into this miserable existence without the ability to touch or love other humans. Yeah, that's um, the dark side of it. You know, he's yeah. you know he's like they don't love, they don't touch. So you're like, oh crap, this kid's going to hell basically. Okay, <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but yeah. So, well, ahead. again, meatloaf becoming <laughs> turkeys. That's. <laughs> That turkey meatloaf. Um, I'm I'm um, married, so I'm not in the market. But for any of our listeners that are, you should try that pickup line. When I see you, I feel like I'm hungry all over. <laughs> uh, I really think you just should have uh, left up to uh, card tricks. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you think how far you could God if you could pull this Dave Blaine stuff right and left and never reveal that you're like Superman. That you yeah. instead you just are really good mm-hmm. at sleight of hand. You probably could really all the ladies yeah. out too yeah yeah the young lady seemed to have an interest in him the one he had no the one he turned into a lizard right yeah right right yeah. five-year-old loved that by the way <laughs> <laughs> he loved that boy he loved that kirk doesn't wear his green uniform what is it just the first season that we see him in his green uniform well, yeah i'd have to is that right steve or and uh, no, i think we see him other times too uh, i don't remember how when but i I can think of one example off the top of my head in the second season he's wearing it. So I'm done. Yeah, I, I actually had to rewind it a little bit because it, it tripped me out. I mean, it was um, when Charlie goes to talk to Kirk about, you know, slapping girl, but, you know, we get that weird explanation from Kirk and he wants to go to the bridge. So Kirk's in his gold uniform right when they get on the turbo lift, when they get out, mm. he's in his green uniform. When they get off, I'm like, oh, I actually had to rewind it to make sure I wasn't crazy. Which, of course, that stuff's a product of its time, too. I mean, yeah. we recognize it as, as sexist regardless. I mean, if a, if a guy slaps another guy on the butt, that guy could go complain, too. Just what's the difference? Sure. You know, we think that now. 
but uh, yeah. It's yeah. harassment on yeah, same sex harassment, regardless. Technically, yeah, I mean, I, I, like, um, it might have been in a man trap, but I noticed we got some handheld stuff too. I think that was actually in a man trap, but I mean, I like the different high angles and different um, shots that they got. Um, get creative. Yeah, there was a handheld shot where Kurt gets on the turbo lift. Right. That was really, really like, yeah, there's a shot they didn't didn't do in I don't know next gen even right. Um, is the show so timeless that that asking how this holds up versus your memory? You know, is it is it too t- is it so timeless that that's an irrelevant question? Because that's something I asked a lot. I would I often ask when we we're watching Star Trek. You know, even just ten year old, eleven year old um, Enterprise episodes. I, I I'm curious about that. Well, what's hard is not only is it this whole this whole idea is the original series sacred or not. I, you know, I'm kind of joking, but not really. There's also the notion that this is the only series that we by definition we, we cannot have seen when it originally aired you know and I'm, I'm not saying that every other episode of every other series we all saw originally when it aired but within a relatively small amount of time so we have yeah. this idea of um how it felt at the time in the context of life but this this we don't it wasn't until i was like 20 that i really watched every single episode of the original series and and well it says you know i was thinking about the time you know if you think about the 60s you know there was a lot of serialized television you know um especially for kids in the morning you probably had zorro and you know i I think i referenced lost in space that were more um centered um for kids um i think the kind of if Star Trek was kind of that in-between show where um, your kids could watch it and, you know, and, you know, the parents could watch it too and get, you know, so there was something that you could get from it from both sides. It had that kind of that Saturday morning feel to it, like, you know, a Lost in Space or like I said, a Zorro, because as a kid, it kind of has that feel. But at the same time, you get, you get something important because, you know, when we go through all these shows, you know, I think we're going to get about what they're about because I'm, you know that that was a hallmark of these the series. You know it it wanted to critically examine society through science fiction of the day. You know so um, I, it's kind of how I and I remember watching fight scenes and the colors and the musics and and the sh- ships battling each other. So um, that's kind of how I, I remember the series. How I remember it as a kid. Yeah, it's probably not addressed enough. I'm sure it's been written about, but maybe not as much as some other things. Is the is the this idea of a family show? You know, it it is something that, um, you know, not like little teeny kids maybe for some of the series, but you know, the, the original series and and fairly young people and older people. I mean, I saw I saw bits of this probably similar to you, Brian, where I didn't like see the whole series as front to back. Um, because after Next Gen had already started for me. Um, but. The uh, as a kid in the 70s in reruns, I'd caught uh, bits and pieces with my dad watching it 10, 15, 10 to 12, 13 years after it was created. And uh, I remember mm-hmm. enjoying um, bits of it, you know, and uh, you know, stuff like that. So, um, it is hard to say, generally speaking, how it holds up compared to a original series, original seeing it. But, um, I, I think this episode is kind of iconic in a way. I mean, most most remember it for a variety of reasons, and, and I don't. I, I saw it again this time, and I didn't really think any different than I, the last time I saw it. You know, Steve. Steve remembers yeah, okay. because of um, shirtless Kurt. Yes, and I love those pants with the insignia on the hip. That's really <laughs> cool. I wish they'd sell those. Yeah, the man wrestling. What's this episode about? Adolescence, um, growing up. That's kind of what I got from it, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of this. This, generally speaking, it's this absolute power corrupting absolutely in a way, but it's also generally speaking, we grow up and we there there are um, 
restrictions in some way, shape, or form. Most people don't go aren't omnipotent <laughs> when <laughs> as teenagers, and so. Um, but it's really problematic when you don't have the experience and you don't have the same context in terms of what the value of life is. And so that's, that's, it's this combination for me of kind of the, the hurdles of adolescence combined with what happens when you're giving, given too many resources and power or in the, during that time. All right. So definitely by the standards of our show, this episode holds up. Um, Steve has one. Right. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Abraham, so, oh, I actually have a six degrees. <laughs> oh, excellent. Abraham Sofayer plays the wispy green head of the Thasian, telling Kirk they've come to retrieve their boy. In the first episode of the original series' third season, he plays the Koshian voice. It features a gunfight at the OK Corral, name the episode. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, geez, Louise. Hold on. Gosh, I tell it's late and I'm in a long day. <laughs> I'd be really stupid if I can't get this to come to my head. Don't worry, Steve. I have no idea what it is, so take your time. Um, are there maybe some ghosts can help you out? <laughs> I am just blanking. I'm sorry. Dang it, Adam. Westworld? Oh, wait, that's another show. By the way, which I'm looking forward to the new version. Um, I don't know. The OK Corral. Specter of the Gun. Yes, yes, yes. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Louise. <laughs> I tried to give you that ghost tip. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Adam, this episode features the only appearance of which um, room or facility on the 1701. Um, would that be the gymnasium? You are correct. The ship's gym. That's right. Uh, so one to one. Moving on. And it's gone before. Season one, episode three, production code two. Original air date September twenty second, nineteen sixty six. Directed by James Goldstone. Written by Samuel A. E. Peoples. Music composed by Alexander Courage. Guest cast include Gary Lockwood as Lieutenant Commander Gary Mitchell, Sally Carolerman as Dr. Elizabeth Daner, Lloyd Haynes as Alden, Andrea Drum as Yeoman Smith, Paul Carr as Lieutenant Lee Kelso, and Paul Fix as Dr. Mark Piper. <laughs> The Enterprise is on an exploratory mission to leave the galaxy. En route, a damaged ship's recorder of the SS Valiant, an Earth ship lost 200 years earlier, is found. Its record is incomplete, but it reveals that the Valiant had been swept from its path by a magnetic space storm. Kirk decides that they need to know what happened to the Valiant, and the Enterprise crosses the edge of the galaxy where it encounters a strange barrier which damages the ship's systems and warp forcing a retreat. At the same time, nine crew members are killed, and both helmsman Gary Mitchell and ship's psychiatrist Elizabeth Derner are knocked unconscious by the barrier's effects. You must help me. Before it goes too far. What he's doing is right. For him and me. And for humanity. You're still human, or no, at least I... partly you are. You wouldn't be here talking to me. Earth is really unimportant. Where no man has gone before, otherwise known as the episode where Spock talks in all caps. <laughs> Adam, 
you said that uh, this is your favorite. Yeah, I like this one the best of the three. And um, I think the reason I liked it better than all the other three is um, there's just, I don't know, there's more going on. I feel like the pace is a little bit better. You have a little bit more action. You have more effects. Um, this episode definitely feels more like um, The Cage than it does the the first two episodes that we watched. Um, I think you just referenced that um, to Spock. You know, his, his makeup's a little bit different. Um, the, they're yelling on the bridge, so um, it feels closer to The Cage than what we got from, say, Mantrap or Charlie X. Um, the new effects I, I enjoyed in this episode. Um, I mentioned that earlier. You get to see the Milky Way galaxy behind the Enterprise. That was a really cool shot. Um, them trying to cross the barrier. You got to see different maneuvers that the Enterprise... That was neat to see. Um, I enjoyed that. Um, enjoyed the relationship between um, Kirk and um, Gary Mitchell, the helmsman. Or I believe he was the command, was commander Gary Mitchell. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, you know, they had a friendship. Um, you know, kind of felt the conflict that Kirk went through. In, in this in this episode about having to kill his friend we got some to me this episode just had more going on and had a better pace and just i just was entertained more by this episode mitchell and kirk having this history and I, I talked about this earlier i i just like this immediate sense of history you know it's this it's this science fiction show which was crazy ahead of its time I imagine a lot of people who tuned in were completely confused by the show. <laughs> I imagine, you know. yeah. um, but, you know, they hear stuff like this, This it's grounded, and it's not the Enterprise going at warp that, that does that. It's, 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 it's Jim and Gary talking about being at the Academy together, and this girl. This was that second pilot, so it was produced many months before all the rest of, of Star Trek, you know, uh, because it had to be produced and then get then NBC saw it and picked up the show. Yeah, I think it's um, it, it's it's certainly memorable because it's so different, and um, it also feels it almost feels like a, this TV movie prequel to the original series and, and such. I mean, it kind of what it does is it makes me curious about. It's almost like here's in a way here's how we got to the cast we got. You know, all these you know you're, you're left wondering like where. Um, what happened in between, which there are books that have covered that, of course, but in some ways you have some, you have some major casts that have died. You have to wonder what happened. And obviously people change jobs with like Sulu and this kind of stuff. I do think it's, it's an, it is an entertaining adventure on the whole. There are some spots that, uh, it, it's, it gets slow and a little, a little too cerebral in a way. Some, and some of the, um, some of the, the tech, the, the big, funky phaser rifle thing and the you get you know who's that guy i don't know if we've seen too much who's that guy yet until this one today but i guess I'm yeah the who's that, that guy, guy in this episode is nuts who's that guy game um whenever the stunt actor doesn't look anything like the <laughs> this is funny <laughs> but but yeah it, it is entertaining and um and it kind of just i don't know it it, it kind of sparks the imagination of you know what are these and it, and like and like you already said you know you, the uh, the history of the characters and stuff like Kirk and so I thought what was kind of interesting too is that since we get this a uh, little bit of history about Kirk that I don't think is mentioned anywhere else in the original series about um, at least in this in depth in terms of him having this stint at teaching at the academy and you know kind of being a bookworm and all this and I think what's fascinating is. I couldn't help but think of the, you know, the Abrams movies and this sort of alternate universe Kirk versus prime universe Kirk in the sense that, okay, one universe he has his 
his didn't lose his father and one he does and at least one result is a different path to the enterprise i think that's one of the things that's kind of fascinating is ending up in a, in a similar place mm. yet taking a different path to get there i mean it's it's this is kind of irrelevant to the episode but because we learned that bit about his history and it definitely uh um sheds a different it gives you a different uh view of kirk at the academy than we have in in those movies and so on so um but I do, I do like that about this episode as we get some of that backstory and we learn about, you know, uh, friendships and history that we don't get anywhere else. So in one yeah. university, he was a bad boy and then in another <laughs> university, he was a bookworm. <laughs> well, I mean, another one of those, those kinds of little things um, that's kind of a mixture of that suggests there's a history, but also these people are friends because they work together every day. You know, I like that... Um, they call it the briefing room, yeah, where they're they're having the meeting. Uh, you've got Kirk, Spock, um, Doctor Daner, um, I think Sulu and um, Scotty are there. Anyway, they're trying to decide what to do. Eventually, everybody leaves, and once everybody leaves, and it's just Spock and Kirk. Spock calls him Jim. You know, mm-hmm. there's like this sense of okay. He says he says Jim. One, he's saying that because Everybody else is gone. It's just the two of them. Okay, he can so he can he doesn't say, you know, he can do that. Two, he's saying Jim because they're friends. Three, he's saying Jim because he's saying something, you know, that's tough for his friend to hear. Kill him. Kill your friend while you still can. <laughs> Kill Mitchell while you still can. You know, Jim. You know, um, so that's just another one of those things. I like. I, I like that moment. It's, it says we've got a history. It says. Um, there is a there is a structure to life on 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 this ship uh, that existed before you started watching it, and you know uh, outside of this room at this moment, you know it's a different thing that with, than what they can talk about privately. Um, and the amazing thing about that is the chemistry between the two actors, because that's probably their first scenes, just the both of them together. Like you said, this was filmed before the you know Charlie. Yeah, that's true. Film. Yeah. So this is the first time, this is really actually, it's not the first time we see them together, but this is the first time they probably actually work together, scene for scene together on the show. And um, you, you know, and you rightly, this is the basis for their relationship 50 years later. Hmm. Um, what do you guys think of Dr. Daner in this episode? I, I always feel like, I don't know. Um. What do you think about her? She's she's kind of a psychologist, not not necessarily a therapist. She's more like studying, but I guess somehow. But um, I don't know. I mean, I I guess I don't know. I'm not a big fan of that because of this character in this episode, I guess, because. I think it's the way the way it's written. The arc is very strange. You know, you get this feel that she's very um, methodical into her job, knows her stuff, and then like somehow just you know just out of nowhere, she's um, very much concerned about uh, Mitchell, perhaps even more than Kirk is in terms of just an emotional concern. And then, you know, they, at the end of it, of course, we, the powers thing and so on. I mean, they, they tried to kind of create like an arc there, I think, 
with her and some kind of journey, but it feels disjointed and odd. I mean, that's kind of how I felt about it. Um, yeah, I see what Steve's yeah. saying. I mean, it's not, yeah, they, she's kind of, Uh, episode she kind of comes off it kind of comes off nobody really likes her mm -hmm. um and then yeah you have this um my assumption by the end of the episode is like she was going through her transformation and that's kind of how she related to right. mitchell more mm -hmm. um but they don't really um they don't really flesh that out as well as that maybe they should have so yeah this this one it just feels a little bit um a little it's oddly paced. I know. I know you prefer the pacing on this one, Adam. But for me, it it it, it slows down a lot. And there's some sick base stuff where it kind of slows down. Um, there's just there's a little bit of weirdness to it. Stuff that I 100 don't don't get me wrong. I 100% forgive it, given it's a 50 year old pilot made months before any other Star Trek ever aired. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, I think again for me the the one that kind of uh, never slows down the one the one that stays solid start to finish for me today was was Charlie X. Um, but I really like how how far uh, where no man has gone before reaches. It seems to be shooting for the stars if if you'll pardon the pun um, more than the other two episodes. Well, that's probably because it will. Was up, right? You know, that's what you want to do in a pilot. You want to shoot for the stars. Or pilot number two. <laughs> I like them. There's a there's a line in there Kirk has about you know our warp drive is out. He actually does say warp. Uh, Earth bases that were only days away are now years in the distance. That's one of those things. It's just like you know the average person watching this show in 1966. That's that seems pretty crazy and ahead of its time and it's right. so simple and logical to us now but it was one of those things I'm like yeah crazy um oh, one more quick thing i wanted to mention you know i i i forgot how much i missed the um the what is it the matted paintings of the you know so oh, yeah in um star trek the original series is you know the matted painting that they I know maybe most people might feel, find that dated or, or doesn't really, you know, hold up. But I, I enjoy those matted paintings of the background of where, where they set up where they're going to be at. So, what's this episode about, guys? Um, I think it's like it's, I mentioned earlier. It's similar to Charlie X. Um, you know, when you have um absolute power thrust on somebody who doesn't have the um the wisdom or the maturity to handle it, um, that power can corrupt you absolutely and you know make you think you're a god who is an omnipotent god who is above and beyond everybody else in every other life form yeah and i think i think in comparison to charlie x the difference is that this this guy's an adult who's been around and seems to be a fairly reasonable person and he gets that power and it corrupts him in that fashion and that just shows that really any of us get enough <laughs> get enough power and it's it's gonna be very difficult to to not start seeing to not make that meatloaf a turkey <laughs> exactly exactly i can't get over that i'm sorry Couldn't let it go. <laughs> i believe you each have one correct yes sounds right okay 
I'm going to give this one to Steve because Steve actually said the answer, which has only happened a couple of times on our show. But if that happens, then I give you that question because you've already said it. Oh. Steve, name the weapon that Kirk uses in this episode and never uses again. No, the, the phaser rifle? Yes. Adam, what middle initial does the gravestone give for James Kirk? James T. Kirk? Uh, that is his name, but that is not what the gravestone says. Steve? It says R. Yes, it's an R. Which, in the, uh, by the way, I've re- back when I used to read the novels, there was a series of novels that kind of addressed this period of time, and they um, treated it as if they kind of <laughs> retro-historyed it, where they treated it like an in-joke between Gary Mitchell and Kirk. Hmm. Like they have names for him that started with an R. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, what's the real story behind that? It was it just a mistake? Yeah, yeah. A function <laughs> mistake. It wasn't that they hadn't. They'd already decided his middle initial was T, but they, it was just a mistake on the headstone. Well, yeah, they say uh, the, yeah they say the name in this one, James T. Kirk. So yeah. All right. Um, we're talking about the original series, and it's fifty years old, and we've done one hundred and fifty episodes of our podcast in almost six years. <laughs> it's all crazy. And we still keep having all the Skype problems, the dropouts. (laughs) (laughs) So I am so excited to be uh, doing the original series. I'm excited to play them for my son, as I've said many times. I really, really am. Um, I am doing quick little interviews with him after we watch them. One one may occasionally find its way uh, after our outro music, if you're a listener that listens all the way to the end, you might have a treat occasionally, not every time, but that might occasionally happen. If you're a new listener, welcome. Um, and uh, happy birthday to Star Trek. This is kind of the last big anniversary, and I'm, I'm glad I was able to spend it to, to spend it talking about Star Trek with you guys. Yep, yep. Indeed. All right, so folks, you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at Trek Companion. And uh, until next time on Star Trek's 50th, I don't know what else to say except live long and prosper. Bye. Bye, guys. See ya. Okay, we just watched Charlie X. What did you think of that episode? Good. What did you like about it? When when I we saw the lizard. When Charlie turned that girl into a lizard? Mm-hmm. Was that a nice thing to do? No. Was Charlie a nice boy? No. What was wrong with him? He didn't have a, a father or a mama when he, when he was growing up, so he doesn't know how to act. As a human, mm-hmm. and he had magic, so he was just so bad at the at the Star Trek ship that he and he said to the lead to to Spock and what's his name? Captain Kirk. Captain.
Captain Kirk, he said to both of them, Spock and Captain Kirk, he said that whoever bees mean to him, he will make them, he will make, make them disappear. Oh, that doesn't sound very nice. So what happened at the end? His, his, his friends from his ship didn't like him, and they took them, him, him back to their own ship. Okay. Well, that sounds like kind of a sad ending to me. No. He was the bad guy, Daddy. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks for watching that with me, buddy.